As we come now, time to the preached word. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Romans chapter 12. I'll be reading verses 9 through 21. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Paul writes to the church in Rome, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who bless up, who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Grace Chapel. As we continue in our sermon series on Romans 12, And the call to show genuine love, today we are focusing on the first part of of verse 12. So we get a bit of a bearing. Let me reread the first part of verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. My attention grabber for this sermon comes from the book, A Thousand Illustrations for Preaching and Teaching. Yeah, it's really a book. And I think the illustration is a good one. Uh, You ready? The mother of President John F. Kennedy, Miss Rose Fitzgerald Kennedy, who was 93 years old on July 22, 1983, applauded and admired by millions, was quoted by many before and during her celebration. Knowing the sorrow she had gracefully borne, I was challenged by words that appeared in Parade Magazine addressed to her and about her grandchildren. I hope they will have the strength to bear the inevitable difficulties and disappointments and griefs of life. Bear them with dignity and without self-pity. Knowing that tragedies befall everyone and that although one may seem singled out for special sorrows, worse things have happened many times to others in the world. And it is not tears, but determination that makes pain bearable. Determination that makes pain bearable. Rose Kennedy was acquainted with pain. Her third child, at the age of 22 and was mentally handicapped, was institutionalized after a botched lobotomy. Her first son, Joe Jr., a distinguished Navy pilot, died overseas when the plane he was flying exploded on a secret mission. Another child, Kathleen, was killed in a plane crash in Europe in 1948. In 1961, her husband suffered a severe stroke and ultimately died from it in 1968. 
1963, her son, President John F. Kennedy, was assassinated in Dallas, Texas, while riding in a motorcade. Again, in 1968, her son Robert, a U.S. senator and Democratic presidential candidate, was also murdered. Her words about pain being bearable through determination comes from life experience. But it's her words. I hope they will have the strength to bear the inevitable difficulties and disappointments and griefs of life that strike me most. I, too, hope that my children, and one day, Lord willing, grandchildren, will be able to bear the inevitable difficulties, disappointments, and griefs of life. But along with my children and grandchildren, I would include my wife and those in our church as well. I want my loved ones to show the determination and the stubbornness to not let the hard things of life beat them down and destroy them. But why does life have to be so hard? Why does it seem that wave after wave of difficulty comes crashing in all the time? Why is it so hard to keep one's head above water? How do we stay focused on what's important? It feels like it's one thing after the next that is crying out for our attention. It's so easy for believers to get caught up in the difficulties of life and lose sight of the hope the gospel provides. I think the ease of which we get caught up in the difficulties of life and lose sight of the hope the gospel provides isn't new. Paul's readers in Rome faced difficulties too. Think about it. In the seven years prior to Paul writing to Rome, Emperor Claudius booted the Jews from Rome. When the Jewish Christians return, the church has taken on much more of a Gentile feel. The church looks much different than the way they left it when they'd planted it. Imagine the tension this would cause. The Jews had a choice. Integrate with the Gentile Christians or start their own gathering. If they remained, what would that look like? Do they remain but keep to themselves? When Paul calls the Christians to be patient in tribulation, the listeners must have been facing the difficulty of remaining or bolting for something or someplace else. Staying and sticking it out would be hard. And how hard must it have been for the Gentile Christians who had grown accustomed to their way to reunite with those who had left under the emperor's expulsion? To reunite meant to change, too. There were disagreements and hurt feelings and different ways of thinking about things and different ideas of what was needed. Being faithful Christians and doing life in the covenant community presented all kinds of challenges. And that's just within the church. Add into that the difficulties these people faced in living out their faith at home and at work. I think we can relate. And I think we'll see today that Paul speaks into these situations to remind us and reframe our thinking. Paul is attempting to move us away from focusing on the difficulties of life to refocus on the hope the gospel provides. To remind his listeners to remain focused on the hope of the gospel. That's where we're headed today. But before we get going, let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, The big idea statement for this morning is, since Christ has given us eternal hope, we have joy in all situations. Point one, the source of our hope. 
Look with me in uh, the first part of verse 12. Rejoice in hope. So what is the source of our hope? The word hope stirs up many thoughts in our minds. I hope Isaac's sermon doesn't go long. I hope the Huskers win enough games to go to a bowl this year. I hope lunch is delicious today. I hope my kids do well in school and in life. I hope this relationship lasts. I hope this marriage can make it through this storm. I hope I can make rent this month. I hope the tests are negative. I hope to have a better week this week than last. I don't know about you, but when I think of the word hope, my mind runs wild with things for which I'm hopeful. Shoot, hope is such an important thing for me that I named my first daughter Hope. When we talk about biblical hope, what are we talking about? The way Paul thinks about the word hope is that it is a looking forward to something with some reason for confidence. That confidence, especially as it pertains to matters spoken of in God's promises, carries with it an expectation of fulfillment. So in our verse today, hope deals with Christian expectation as it relates to the fulfillment of God's promises. The source of hope is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope lies in the fact that God fulfilled his promises to sending Jesus into the world to bring salvation to all who believe in Christ. Our hope lies in the finished work of Christ, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his promise to return to rule and reign and make all things right. This hope of which Paul is speaking is rooted entirely in the promises and fulfillment of God through Christ. This, this is why Paul commands his readers to rejoice in hope in the midst of their life circumstances, in the midst of their church struggles as it relates to how Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians do life and worship together. Paul refocuses their thinking. He's saying, Roman believers, the source of your hope isn't in people or in ethnic backgrounds or in styles of, or structures of worship that you find most comfortable. The source of your hope isn't in whether the emperor is helping Christians thrive or not. The source of your hope is found in the person and finished work of Christ. It's because of what Christ has done, is doing, and will do that locks in hope. Hope that will never fade. It will never run dry. It will always be there. Hope will bring stability when the storms of life hit. Hope that will literally spring eternal. Hope will inject Christ into all the division and difficulties the church is facing. So that Christ is the main thing. And so his name is glorified and celebrated and his people are unified. And by keeping the hope of the gospel central, the world gets to see something different from believers who gather together each week and place their hope again in him and in what he has done, is doing, and will do. It seems to me, friends, that our world today is in need of great need of the hope that only Jesus offers. Think about our world today and all the places people turn to to find hope. Many have gone to so many places to find hope that, they many, that many of them have just given up. In a pandemic world where things are constantly changing and we are in a constant state of disequilibration, it's easy to lose hope. 
Remember when we first heard about coronavirus? It was this thing that was going to make its way to the U.S., but it would only last for two weeks, and then we'd flatten the curve and we'd get on with life. We knew it wouldn't be fun that we'd suffer through for two weeks, and then we'd get on with life. That was almost two years ago. We now have experienced mask mandates and loved ones who we've lost to the virus. We get weekly updates of hospitals being overwhelmed, and we don't have an end in sight. And we don't know when normal life will just get back to normal, or if we'll get back to normal, or what the new normal even is. It's easy to lose hope, isn't it? It's easy to lose hope when you're stuck in your house for a year and with many of you having kids underfoot to fully engage in corporate worship and feel like you're connected. And for many, as you've returned, it's easy to lose hope when you found that some people you were close with before the pandemic aren't here anymore. Instead, there are new people who you don't know in a place that should feel familiar but doesn't yet. It's easy to lose hope. And yet Paul calls us to rejoice in hope, to be confidently expected and to be reminded anew that our hope is not in mask mandates or the vaccine. It's not in the Democratic Party, nor is it in the Republican Party. Our hope isn't found in our jobs or our families or our marriages or our work ethic or the promotion. The source of our hope is in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who came and died and rose again and ascended and will return to rule and reign. He's the source of our hope, and he always will be. Friends, where do you find yourself placing your hope? When the stresses of life are present? When the adrenaline shot of hope from Sunday morning wears off and the world seems so out of balance? Where do you find hope? Where is your source of hope? See, here Paul is reminding us not to lose sight of the truth that our only hope, the only source of truth, eternal, unchanging hope, is in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. Our placing our hope in Christ will not disappoint. For others of us, it's not an issue of where to place our hope. We've been so hurt by knowingly and unknowingly placing our hope in things that have not only faded, but have left lasting scars that we want nothing to do with hope anymore. If that is you today, let me tell you how sorry I am. I'm sorry for the hurt and the pain. I'm sorry that things or people who you placed your hope in left you scarred. But here's the good news. God is faithful. His promises are true. He is who he says he is and he'll do all he's promised to do. You can put your hope in him and the proof. The proof is in who Christ is and what he has done for you. So whether you think you have no hope or are afraid to place what little hope you have left or just aren't sure, Hear the Apostle Paul when he says that the bedrock of your life is Christ. And it's when you go to Christ, place your hope in him, that hope, real hope, eternal hope, hope that doesn't fade but lasts forever. It's that hope that will not only sustain you through life, 
but through the power and work of the Holy Spirit will grow you in expectancy, in anticipation, and in excitement and eagerness to live out that hope. Paul knows the source of humanity's hope is found only in Christ. As we go about life inside and outside the church, I pray we'll be a people who live with steadfast hope, confident that Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven, and that one day in the future he will return, make all things right, and we will live with him forever. Point two, the call to joy. Some of you may be thinking, that's great, Isaac, but what do we do in the meantime? How are we to go about our daily lives? All right, we got it. We got the reminder that we either need to place or replace the source of hope in life in Christ and his work. But now what? Well, Paul tells us. We are to rejoice in that hope. Our lives are to be characterized by rejoicing. And as our sermon series is trying to help us flesh out what it means to show genuine love, here Paul uses an imperatival participle to say, Christian, your life must be about rejoicing in the hope of the gospel. It's not a suggestion. It's not an encouragement. It's a command. Paul commands us to be a people rejoicing in hope. The word rejoicing means to be in a state of happiness and well-being. God is commanding us through Paul to rejoice and be glad. This reminds me of Psalm 118.24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Well, I don't know if Paul is alluding to Psalm 118. I do think that it helps us as we think about when and where we are to rejoice. We are to be a people who live in a state of happiness and well-being to be a people who rejoice and are glad. But when? Today. Tomorrow. And the next. And the next after that. Why? Because this day. And every day that the Lord has made. And when do we rejoice? All the time. Friends, God has not only created each day, but he has given it to us as an opportunity to live into the realities of the gospel To rejoice that our identity is wrapped up not in what we produce, but in that we are created in the image of God and that he delights in us. We rejoice that we always have a place where we fit and belong, a place to call home within God's family, surrounded by the people of God, who like us have gone from orphans without hope and future to children of the king, princes And princesses, we rejoice that our future is fixed. Sin and death have been defeated. They don't get the last laugh. Jesus and believers with him do. We rejoice that we get to spend eternity with Jesus face to face in the new heaven and the new earth. We rejoice that our hope is not in this world or the things of this world. Each day we arise to face the day we get to and are commanded to rejoice in hope. Doesn't that make you excited? It sure does me. Yet I also want to zoom in and place Paul's words to rejoice and hope within the context of his audience. While they are to rejoice everywhere all the time, Paul is writing to the gathered believers in Rome. Paul wants the Roman believers and us today to be a people who make it a lifestyle to gather together and to rejoice together in the hope they have together. 
He wants their rejoicing to be the, in the context of fellow believers. To be able to, uh, to be a people whose joy stirs one another to joy as well. Where one's joy might sustain another while they go through hard times. Where one's joy might become contagious and spread to the lives of others. Where one's joy in the hope of the gospel refocuses and reframes those who might be struggling to maintain their hope in the gospel. Remember, the Roman church is struggling with unity and resentment and ethnic and ideological loyalties. Yet Paul says to them, the gospel is bigger. It's bigger than struggles at church. It's bigger than who is in charge. It's bigger than your family of origin stuff. It's bigger than your background and your baggage. It's even bigger and more important than what the world, and if we're honest ourselves, hold so dear. The gospel is bigger and more important and transcends all things. I believe that there's a subtle warning for us here. If we lose sight as a people of the hope we have in Christ, if we decide that anything is more important than the hope of the gospel, we will quickly lose our joy and ability to rejoice in all that we have in Christ. Paul commands us to join together to rejoice in hope because, well, he sees how vital it is for the health and growth of the church. He also knows that the world is a hard place to live. And being a Christian in the world makes life even harder. So the command to rejoice in hope is to live in gratitude for all that Christ has given us, but is also to encourage and build up the body of believers. That's why it's important to make coming to church every week so important. Our very presence and participation not only reminds us to keep putting our hope in Christ, but also reminds us to that gratitude and worship and serves to help others to rejoice too, to be glad, to live in a state of happiness and well-being. Let me share a couple of examples and see if this doesn't spur you on to rejoice in the hope of the gospel. Just last week before our communicants class started, I sat down to one, uh, next to one of our eight-year-olds. In the course of our conversation, I asked what he was excited about for the coming week. He was really excited that his cousins were coming to town over fall break, But he talked a lot longer about how excited he was to be in communicants class. And that he was excited for next Sunday when he was going to have pizza with the elders and be able to talk to them about Jesus. And he said, and the week after that, I'm excited that I get to stand up in front of the church. And then later in the service, I get to start taking communion. Friends, do you see what God is doing in this little boy's life? Do you see what is happening in the midst of our church? God is working. This little boy's parents have been faithfully bringing him to church for years. And look at how God is building this little boy up in faith. And what's sweet about it is that this next week, when he makes his vows before the congregation at second service, we get to celebrate God's faithfulness to him, to his parents, and to the congregation. We get to rejoice in God's faithfulness that God has been working on him from the time when his parents took vows for him and we promised as a church to walk alongside of him and them. We get to celebrate, to rejoice in the hope of the gospel when he professes his faith and gets to start taking communion. We get to celebrate his profession and the profession of faith in Christ by the other nine communicants. And we get to celebrate the baptism of four of the ten communicants next week. 
And this is just one example of many. Friends, when we join together to rejoice in the hope of the gospel, we get to see, like we've already seen in this service today, how God is working through baptisms. Other examples, we get to see how the hope of the gospel brings two people together in marriage. We get to see how the hope of the gospel is true even when life is hard and unfair and depressing. We get to be reminded that the hope of the gospel is true and real and strong enough to weather the storm even when we may not feel like it. We get to rejoice and be reminded that God is faithful and that he's at work and he's still moving, still changing hearts, still worthy of praise, and that each day is a day to rejoice and be glad. It is vital for each of us to band together in the covenant community to do life together and rejoice in the hope of the gospel. How might this command to rejoice and hope apply to you today? How does the hope we have in Christ empower rejoicing? I'm a youth pastor, so let's get real specific. Some relatively easy things. It might be beginning your day with reading Psalm 118, 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then asking the Lord to help you to rejoice in the hope that the gospel provides. It could be putting a list on your fridge of all the things you rejoice in as it relates to the gospel and all that Christ has done in your life. It could be spending five to ten minutes and writing a prayer to the Lord and sharing with him all of your hopes and your dreams for the future. Here's some ideas of more demanding ways you might choose to rejoice in hope. Maybe it's making it a priority to be actively engaged with other believers. Maybe it's committing to attending worship each week or small group or Bible study or youth group. Maybe it's choosing to focus not on the intentionally or unintentionally hurtful thing that person right over there said to you yesterday or five years ago that has caused you to lose your happiness in being present. Maybe instead of focusing on what they said or did, Focus on being thankful that the gospel is for that person too. And that the Holy Spirit is growing them to be more like Christ too. And that that one day they will come to full maturity of faith and it won't be so hard to be their brother or sister in Christ. I don't know what it looks like for you to put rejoicing and hope into action. I just know we're called to it. But it's hard to rejoice and hope sometimes, isn't it? There's just so much bad stuff in the world and and inside the church. Are we to live like ostriches with our heads planted firmly in the sand? No. Paul would say emphatically no. One commentator writes, believers of all people are to be filled with joy due to their future hope that awaits them. When hope evaporates, so does joy. So how does the fire of joy get stoked? By focusing on that hope. And while we are to remember that the source of our hope is found in Christ, And because of that reality, we are to rejoice and be glad in it. We are called to patient endurance as we face trials and difficulties and tribulations. Let's look at our last point this morning. Point three, the call to patient endurance. Paul's words here about being patient in tribulation show without a shadow of a doubt that Paul knows the realities of life. The tribulations for which Paul speaks here is often used of trouble that inflicts distress. Tribulation can also be translated as oppression or affliction. Distress is extreme anxiety, sorrow, or pain. 
So Paul is saying we are to be patient in the midst of anything that causes extreme anxiety, sorrow, or pain. I don't know about you, but none of these things sound like anything I want to experience. And yet extreme anxiety, sorrow, and pain are the air we breathe. Extreme anxiety, sorrow, and pain are three words I'd use to sum up our experience in the COVID pandemic. The anxiety of not knowing when COVID will end. To last year when, uh, when we held a crying child who just wanted to swing on the swings or go down the slide but couldn't because we weren't sure if they'd get COVID. That caused anxiety, sorrow, and pain, right? What about those who have had to have limits on their wedding guests or had to change their wedding dates? Some had to visit elderly loved ones via phone through their window. Others weren't able to have a funeral for loved ones and so weren't able to adequately grieve in a timely manner. I think we're all now well acquainted with extreme anxiety, sorrow, and pain. Paul speaks into that experience when he tells his Roman audience to be patient in tribulation. Be patient. An imperative I don't like to hear when I'm facing difficulty. I want it to stop now. This is what God is commanding us to in our personal lives, how we show genuine love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Patience in this verse means to maintain a belief or course of action in the face of opposition. Some of the ways this word is translated in Scripture is to stand one's ground, to hold out, to endure. There seems to be resolute steadfastness to maintain the course of action while one stands in the face of opposition. There's a grittiness to it. A stubbornness, an unwillingness to let the opposition win. The patient that Paul writes about isn't passive at all. Instead, it's an active, resolute, steadfast endurance to keep on keeping on in the face of hardship. For patience, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit to grow, tribulation serves as the fertile soil for patience to be exercised. For it's in the midst of tribulation that the Holy Spirit is able to bring our utter dependence on him to bear. It gives the Holy Spirit the space to empower us with the strength to remain steadfast in the, in the face of opposition, as well as producing us greater and more abundant fruit. The good and bad news is that as, as we experience extremely anxious situations, deeply sorrowful events, and painful situations that the Holy Spirit is able to make us more and more like Christ. In a weird way, we need these difficult things in order to become more like Jesus. Again, it's as we place our hope in the gospel that the Spirit gives us the power to be patient in the face of opposition. I'm reading Luther King Jr.'s collected writings when I was in my late 20s. And being upset that the education I'd received about him didn't include anything substantive about his faith. As I read King's writings, I was amazed at how his faith drove each and every move he made as he gave his life for the civil rights movement. As I read how his faith in Jesus strengthened his resolve to keep marching forward towards the prize, I was honestly saddened that the only aspect of his faith I got to hear was that he was known as Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., It was as I read him in his own words that I felt like I had gotten to know him, that I got to learn from where his patient endurance and resolve came from in the face of such evil opposition. As a child, I just thought he was a super strong dude to experience so many setbacks and yet keep going. 
I thought he must have uh, come from a home where his mother and father served as examples of a gritty stick to that led to his resolve, or that it was just steered stubbornness that kept him going. Well, I think each of these things play a part. I was more greatly impacted by his life and the writings when I learned that it was his faith in Jesus that fueled his patient endurance. It was his faith in Jesus that drove him to speak the truth and love to white pastors when he wrote his letter from a Birmingham jail. It was his faith in Jesus that empowered him to keep moving the movement forward when his home was bombed and when there were threats on his life and when he was being followed. Reverend King experienced great distress, extreme anxiety, deep sorrow, and heartbreaking pain. While expressing righteous anger, he did so while patiently moving forward, resolutely staying the course, standing on the ground, all the while enduring much opposition. When we jettison his faith from the person, we are left with an incomplete picture of him and do a disservice to him and the cause for which he gave his life, seeing each person as bearing the image of God and worthy of respect and dignity. It is in the face of opposition and the patient endurance King showed that his greatness was most able to be seen. So what about you? Not many of us will be on the front lines of a movement like King was. But many of us are on the front lines of developing the character of our children, of the daily and often arduous and tedious job of having to patiently endure their opposition, whether that be brushing of teeth, going to bed, doing homework, getting home on time, showing honor and respect, and the list goes on and on. Parenting is hard work, and we face much opposition seemingly all the time. Parents... Be patient in tribulation. For many of us, it's hard being a Christian in the workplace, where being honest isn't always held with the greatest respect, where cutting corners may be encouraged, where emphasizing profits over people seem to be how things are done now, and where maintaining a healthy work-life balance make ones look lazy and like they're not pulling their weight. Worker, be patient in tribulation. For others, it's hard coming to church, Churches where someone has done something in the past or might even be doing something right now that has caused us deep hurt. Church may be a place where we feel alone and unknown. We may feel like the Grace Chapel we stopped attending in person when COVID hit is now a different church with so many new people that it just doesn't feel like the church we knew before. That can be hard and may cause sorrow of what was lost. Christian, be patient in tribulation. For all of us, be patient in tribulation. I think it's normal to want to lash out or to become angry, to shake our fists at ourselves or our children or our workplace or the church in the face of opposition when we are eye to eye with distress and difficulty and anxiety. Not only does God get it, and not only does God call us to be patient in those tribulations, he gives us the power to be patient in tribulation. He gives us what we need to stand in and to stand up. It all goes back to the hope of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, with our hope planted firmly in the truth of the gospel and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are able to be patient in the midst of tribulations and tangibly show genuine love while we're also becoming more and more like Jesus as we do. And after all, isn't it Jesus who is the greatest example of placing one's hope in the gospel? Jesus not only came to give life and life abundant, 
But he came to fulfill the promises made about him that stretched all the way back to Genesis 3. His hope in the gospel drove him to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus models for us in the gospels how to wake up each day and rejoice that this is the day that the Lord has made. And he spent each day on earth rejoicing in the Lord and being glad. It's the Lord who was our model for being patient in the face of tribulation. When he was being mocked and beaten, it was Jesus being talked about in Isaiah 53, 7, when it says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. It is Jesus who the author of Hebrews is talking about when he says that we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is our greatest example in how to live this out. Paul knew that life is hard, filled with heartbreak and things that are that that should not be. He knew the church can be a hard place to be, filled with sinners and saints alike. He knew how easy it is for us to get caught up in the difficulties of life events and lose sight in the hope that the gospel provides. He knows that the loss of hope results in loss of joy and that joy when snuffed out by tribulation and difficulty leads God's people to an inability to show genuine love. That's why Paul commands us in our verses this morning to rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. Listen to how Rose Kennedy's son Ted eulogized her at her death at the age of 104 in January of 95. She sustained us in the saddest times by her faith in God which was the greatest gift she gave us, and by the strength of her character, which was a combination of the sweetest gentleness and most tempered steel. May that be said of us as we rejoice in hope and are patient in tribulation. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you knowing that our only hope is you. It is through the person and finished work of Christ that our hope resides and lives Father, we praise you that you are faithful and that the gospel goes throughout the Old and New Testaments showing and proving that when life gets hard, our hope is to remain in the gospel and that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do so. Lord, we love you and we praise you and thank you. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.